Turn to Genesis chapter 13. We're going to resume our study in the book of, rather, the life of Abraham. And as we start this evening, I want to uh, remind you of some things that are true about the Christian life. Whether we like them or not, these things are true about uh, being a Christian. Uh, The first one is this. There are no shortcuts to maturing in our faith. Maturing is a process that we have to accept and allow it to occur in order to transform us and conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. So that's the first. Number two, the maturing process typically comes through events and experiences that we'd rather not go through. Usually we have to go through things we'd really rather not be involved in, but that's how we mature. Now here's the third one, and the third one kind of balances out the other two. God is with the believer all the way through that maturing process. And he's with them to bring them through that and to help them get through the battles that they have to face, uh, to bring them to a new and better understanding of who he is, and also to shape them uh, in their character to be more like, again, what he would have them to be in new, fresh ways as he leads them in that direction. Now, I know if you've been saved any time at all, you would agree with me on this. The battles and the testing that we have to go through, that God allows us to go through, are not enjoyable. And they're also not easy. But I also know Scripture is clear in telling us that those battles are, and those testings are God's way of developing our character. We wouldn't develop character without those things. It just simply wouldn't happen. Those are God's ways of reinforcing us and growing us in our faith. Uh, I know you're in Genesis chapter 13, but flip over to the book of John, if you would, for a minute. Look at John, hold your hand there at Genesis, we'll get there, but John chapter 17. I want you to see what Jesus Christ prayed as he was going to the cross, his last prayer to the Father, and he prays about the disciples and prays about those who will believe in Jesus Christ because of the disciples' ministry. Look at John chapter 17, look at verse 15. John chapter 17, verse 15. This is Jesus Christ praying for you and for me, and look what he says. He says, I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that they should, that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I, I t- sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Now, Jesus Christ makes some great promises there and great comfort as he uh, prays to the Father for us. But there's one phrase in that verse, in in what he says, that I wish was not there. It's the first phrase of verse 15. He said, I pray that thou shouldst not take them out of the world. (laughs) I wish he hadn't prayed that. Uh, The world gives me more fists than anything else. It's the source of every conflict I go through. Everything I experience that's negative comes from this world. And so I pray that, I, I wish that Jesus Christ had saved us and then just taken us out of here. That would have been a, the best idea to my mind. He left us here for a purpose and for a reason, obviously, uh, and it was not to, to reduce our stress. Uh, God's plan was for, for us to stay in this world for a variety of reasons. And so instead of removing us, look what he does instead. He promises to keep us from the evil that's part of this world. That's the promise. We wouldn't grow or mature if he, if he did that, if he didn't do that. Instead, he promises to keep us in the midst of the battle, and by doing so, so we partake in the special blessings and experience the work in his lives and our lives as those battles rage around us. That's how God worked in Abraham's life. That's how God will work in our lives, through the difficulties and through the battles. Abraham faced wicked kings. He faced wicked worldly systems. He faced real battles with real enemies. And God allowed him to go through all those things and face those kings and face those battles. But in every battle he faced, it was an opportunity for Abraham to experience God, God's faithfulness, and to develop his character and his faith in God as a result. 
So what we're going to do this evening, we're going to consider the battle that Abraham went through, and we're going to see what God did in the midst of that battle, through that battle, to help him become more of the friend of God. We're going to see what God accomplished in his life, and what, as Abraham managed that battle, and God did his work through him. Look at Genesis chapter 13. Battles and so forth, which I think is all fits into what we're going to be looking at tonight, because Abraham did go through a battle. This is a physical battle, but we see a lot of spiritual lessons from it. Uh, here's the setting of the battle. If you remember, when Lot left for uh, the, the promised land, as he set out, Lot followed him. His nephew followed him. Uh, he was going to go with Abraham to find this land. Lot detoured from the, from the path because he needed space for his cattle and for his people. And Abraham's herdsmen and uh, Lot's herdsmen were fighting with each other. And so Lot and Abraham separated at that point. Lot made the choice to head east. And look at verse 12, if you would. Genesis chapter 13, verse 12. Abraham dwelled in the land of Canaan. And Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. So when Lot divided off, Abraham went one way, Lot went the other way, and Lot, Abraham pitches toward Canaan, and Lot pitches toward Sodom. Now, there's a whole message in that tonight that we're not going to go through, but that's the setting for it. Now, look at verse 14, or chapter 14, I'm sorry, chapter 14, verse 1. It says, And it came to pass in the days of Arapmel, a king of Shinar, Ariak, king of Elisar, the other guy, king of Elam, and title king of the nations, that these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, and Shemeber, king of Zoam, and the king of Bela, which is Zor. So there's a battle to set up four kings going against five kings, and there's this battle. And because Lot chose to go where he did, he becomes in the middle of that battle. It was not where God chose for him to be. He got there because of his own flesh and got mixed up in this battle as a result. We can make any choice we want. But there's always consequences that come from that choice. We Again, we have freedom of choice, but not freedom from consequences. Look at verse 12, chapter 14, verse 12. And in the midst of this battle, they took Lot, Abram's son's a brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. So Abram's son, nephew is taken in the midst of this battle, and Abraham is made aware of that. Look at verse 14. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan, and divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods, and the women also, and the people. So he sees what has happened, he goes after them, pursues them, and brings everything back. This is the first time since God called Abraham that he was in any kind of a battle like this. And we see one more example in this of why God called him to do the work that he had for him to do. Uh, folks, one thing we know is this. Conflict builds character. Conflict builds character. God knew the character of Abraham, but Abraham needed that revealed to himself. And so this conflict showed that it was essential to follow God and to trust him no matter how impossible the circumstances might seem. And Abraham's character was such, and his relationship with God was such, that he did exactly what God called for him to do. But here's the greater question. To whom would Abraham give glory once he got the victory? After this thing is all done, who is Abraham going to give the glory to? Would he give it to himself, or would he give it to the one who truly deserved it, that being God? And that question is answered by an even greater test that, is confronted, that Abraham confronts later on. Look at chapter 14 and verse 18. We find that two kings meet him after this battle, after this victory. Look at 1418. 
And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. When the battle's over, God sends this messenger to Abraham to console him and to assure him that he's in God's hands and that God was the one who gave him the victory. What is the message of Melchizedek? The message of Melchizedek is this. In every victory, God must get the glory. In every victory, God must get the glory. And believer, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, every victory that you experience has nothing at all to do with us. We're not victorious because of how clever or how resourceful or how intelligent we are. We're not victorious because of our ability to take any situation and structure victory from it. Victory comes because, as David said, the battle is the Lord's. And no matter how great or how small the victory may be, God is the one who brought it about, and he must receive all the glory for it. And one of the most dangerous mistakes that a believer can make is to take the glory that belongs to God and apply it to themselves. God does not share his glory. He won't share it. And a sign of our character, that our character is developing like God wants it to, is when we give him all the glory that is due him. So if we hear nothing else tonight, we need to hear this. Never touch God's glory. Never touch his glory. We risk everything, including God's willingness to use us, when we take the glory that belongs to him and take credit for ourselves. And that is why our successes can be just as treacherous as our failures. In our failures, we may have the tendency to blame God or get angry at God for allowing those things. But in our successes, we may have the tendency to forget God and take the position that our success has something to do with our skills and our wisdom and us. And both those positions can cause us to lose the work that God has designed for us to do. Be very careful how we handle success. Uh, there are, now, that was the first king that showed up. There's a second king also that meets up with Abraham after his victory. That's the king of Sodom. He comes to Abraham because Abraham helped him defeat the kings, the enemies of that king. And this king is so grateful to him that he offers to give Abraham all the wealth that they received from that battle. Now, to the world, and of course, king of the Sodom is a, is a king of the world, to the world, the greatest uh, uh, result of the victory, the greatest reward for the victory is the material stuff that's gained from it, whatever stuff you can get. To those in the world, the things of the world have the most value, more value than anything else. And so what this king offered to Abraham was of great value to him, and I'm sure he expected Abraham to accept that. Look at verse 22, chapter 14, verse 22. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a, from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou should say, I have made Abraham rich, save only that that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner, uh, Eshcol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. What was Abraham saying? What he's saying is, if he took one thing from the, king of Abra- from the king of Sodom, all those who saw Abraham's riches would give the glory to Abraham and to the king who gave him that stuff. And God would not receive any glory from that. And so Abraham refuses all of it. Abraham was willing to sacrifice even those things that were rightfully his to make sure he did not touch the glory that belonged to God. And that speaks one more time to the heart of Abraham. 
He was fully in tune with God's plans and fully in tune with God's desires. And we can only imagine how pleased God was as he watched Abraham's faith continue to grow as it was. And as a result, God revealed more and more of himself to Abraham. Uh, When the heart remains true to God and only seeks what God desires, God responds by revealing more and more of himself to that person. We've seen that process many times in Abraham's life as we've gone through this study. Folks, the more faith we exhibit, the more that God reveals of himself. And the more that God reveals of himself, the more our faith grows, and that process continues on and on and on. And all of that develops into our friendship with God like we never knew could exist before. So at this point, Abraham's walk. God chose to reveal himself to Abraham with two particular names that he gave himself. If you're doing our scripture writing, hopefully you are, uh, you're realizing an important truth. God reveals himself to us through names that he gives himself. He talks about specific uh, attributes or specific works that he does by the names he gives to himself. Look at chapter 15 and verse 1. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, watch it now. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Two names, I am thy shield, I am thy exceeding great reward. And notice the first one, I am thy shield. What's he saying? Abraham, I am your protector. I'm going to take care of you. I want to make it clear to you that I am the one who will give you the victory, the victory you've already experienced. I'm the one who gave you that. And notice the present tense, I am thy shield. He's also making it clear to Abraham he would be his protector from this time forward. Never a time when God would not be protecting Abraham. And that was true because Abraham believed God and he trusted him to deliver him from whatever he faced. Then notice the second name that he gives himself. I am thy exceeding great reward. To put it in Sabacus terms, God would be the payoff for Abraham's obedience. God would be Abraham's heritage. All that God was All that he could do, all that he possessed, was promised to Abraham. And the rest of the history of Abraham is the evidence that God did for him exactly what he promised to do. And by the way, notice that God did not promise just to be Abraham's reward. He promised to be his great reward. But notice also he didn't promise just to be his great reward. He promised to be his exceeding great reward. That is the English language doing the best that it possibly can to show just how immense and how awesome God's reward is to those who will follow him and obey him exclusively. Exceeding great reward from that behavior, from that choice. There is, there's a reward? No. There is a great reward? No. There is an exceeding great reward by being faithful to God. And it is a reward that surpasses anything else we might think of, that we might conceive of, that anything else could offer us. Think of the greatest reward that you can imagine, like that Lexus sitting in the driveway. (laughs) And then magnify that infinitely, and that is the reward that God gives to those who place full faith in him. We cannot imagine the reward God will give us just by being faithful to him. And I'm not talking about rewards later on. I'm talking about rewards right now that God will give us as we simply place full faith in him. Now, with that thought in mind, the best that our finite minds can get a hold of it, Think about this. Think about all the times that we resist going God's way and doing what he wants us to do. Think about all those times we know what God wants us to do and we choose our own way instead. 
We behave sometimes, including myself in this thing, we behave sometimes as though if we go our way, it's going to be a greater payoff and things are going to go so much better for us if we do what we want to do. We act sometimes as though the blessing comes when we do what we want to do and follow the path that we choose. And yet the exact opposite is true. All of the blessings of God are promised to those who go his way and follow his plans and forsake their own plans in the process. Every blessing that Abraham received came because God promised to be his reward. And the same holds true for every person in this room. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the same holds true for you. God will be your reward and we will gain nothing for ourselves if we choose to follow our path. Uh, We will certainly lose it all. If we choose to follow his path, we will gain it all. And Abraham was determined to make sure that God got the glory. He knew that it was the tendency of mankind to take credit for good things that come their way. And so Abraham knew that if he took what the king of Sodom offered him, the credit for Abraham's success would go to Abraham and to the king of Sodom. Abraham refused to allow that to occur. He would not allow the opportunity for anyone to take the credit for what God had done. Folks, faith includes giving God glory when he provides for us according to the exceeding Riches of his glory by Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. Uh, that was a very intense test that Abraham had to face. It will be intense for every one of us to face that test and face that same challenge. It will be an intense time when that happens or if it's happening now. You see, your flesh is your problem. My flesh is my problem. And the flesh wants whatever satisfies the flesh. The flesh wants to take glory for any good thing that happens. The flesh wants to take glory for that and credit for that. And only that person who has their heart set toward God and who has placed full faith in him is going to be able to stand that test and give glory to the one to whom it truly belongs. But that is the heart and the character of that that God wants to develop in each and every one of us. I have to turn to Ephesians chapter 3, if you would. Hold your hand there in Genesis. Go to Ephesians 3. You are aware of what the Apostle Paul accomplished in his work for the Lord. To me, he's the greatest Christian who ever lived, humanly speaking. I want you to see what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 about the work he did. And we'll see the heart of of Paul matching very closely with the heart of Abraham. Look at Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8. Paul says there, Unto me, who am less less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Notice what Paul says there. He did not achieve this grace. He did not earn this grace. He did not accomplish this grace through his own efforts. Look at the word there. Is this grace, what's the word? Given. Given. This grace was given to him. Paul was aware that he was, he was, he got what he got and did what he did because God gave him the grace to do it. And Paul was fully able and fully willing to give all the credit to God for everything that he accomplished in his ministry. And that's why God used him the way God used him. And if we're going to uh, thrive in our work for the Lord, both as individuals and as a church, we must take to heart what Jesus Christ says in John chapter 15 and verse 5. Jesus says there, without me, ye can do nothing. (laughs) Jesus Christ says, if you don't have me, if I'm not leading you, if you're not working through me, you will do nothing. That one who would be the friend of God, as Abraham did, as Abraham was, must take every opportunity to give God the glory for everything that is done in their lives. 
And that person must never allow anything or anyone to crowd in and take the glory that only belongs to him. If there is any victory, we immediately must give God the glory for that victory. So, God has revealed himself to Abraham as his shield, as his exceeding great reward. And every time that God reveals something new about himself to Abraham, Abraham's heart grew stronger and more dedicated to God, and his faith grew. And with every new revelation, Abraham's desire to know God more developed that much more as well. And the more that God revealed about himself, the more sure Abraham was that every promise that God made to him would be fulfilled, just like God said it would be fulfilled. Abraham was growing to know God more deeply and more intimately with every passing day. Now, for most Christians, that would be enough. If I could say I'm learning God more, growing closer to God every day, that would be all that I would ever ask for. However, that didn't satisfy Abraham. I want you to look at chapter 15 and look at verse 2. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 2. He just has this great victory. Uh, God just tells him, I'm going to be your strength. I'm going to be your exceeding great reward. Verse 2, And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Abraham hears what God says and comes back and says, Lord, I want you to fulfill the original promise that you made to me. Now, Abraham still believed that God will fulfill that promise. He was not doubting God in that. His faith would persist until that promise was fulfilled. He was just saying, Lord, when's it going to happen? I'm ready for you to do what you promised me to do, that you were going to do. And folks, that is a sort of faith that pleased God. You see, God is fully aware that he, he would fulfill that promise to Abraham. He knew what he was doing there. He was waiting for Abraham's heart to develop to the point where he would persist in seeking the promise that God had made to him. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you read a promise in God's word or God's spirit makes you aware of a promise that God has made to you, but that promise does not come through immediately? How do you handle that? Do you get mad at God? Do you become disillusioned or disappointed in God? Do you take things into your own hands and try to work things out yourself since the God apparently is not doing what he promised to do? When you read a promise in God's word or the promise has not come through, what do you do about that? How do you handle that? You see, folks, a delayed promise can either diminish our faith or strengthen our faith. It's going to do one or the other. It's either going to cause you to have less faith or cause you to have greater faith. And what Abraham was doing here was not displaying a lack of faith. Abraham was speaking in full faith and saying, Lord, I know you're going to do this. I want to know when you're going to do it and how you're going to do it. I'm simply looking for you to stop delaying and make it happen what you promised me was going to happen. He simply wanted God's assurance that the promise would be fulfilled just like he said it was. And with that display of faith, I want you to see God's response in verse 4. Look at verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, speaking of Eleazar, this shall not be thine heir. But he that shall come forth of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Look at verse 5. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. God is 
making it clear that that promise he made to him is, is going to be made, and he's reinforcing that so unmistakably that Abraham can't miss it. Abraham, look into the sky and look at all the stars you see up there and try to count them. And when you realize you can't count those stars, that's how great your seed is going to be when I fulfill this promise to you. And with God saying that, we have the words that change all of history in verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. He believed in the Lord and counted it unto him for righteousness. Abraham believed God. He placed his full faith in God, and he received God's righteousness as a result. Now, you who live in the New Testament are aware that Paul's gospel is justification by faith. He talks about that in Romans chapter 4 and also in Galatians chapter 3. And both times when Paul talks about that, who does he use as an example? He uses Abraham. Abraham is his example of justification, what justification by faith looks like. And with the words there in chapter 15 and verse 6, God makes a new covenant, not the covenant that he made with Moses on Mount Sinai, but the one later established by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Justification will not come by the law. Justification could never come by the law. Justification is going to come. Full justification is going to come by grace through faith. That's how it's going to come. And on that basis of that covenant, God will do his work in this world. From the time of Jesus Christ forward, God did not accept what mankind did based on their own merit. What God now accepted was based on faith, the belief that God would do what he said he would do, and holding to that, no matter how the circumstances appeared, if God said it, I'll believe it, and I'll trust it. What we see in Abraham's life is that his faith grew as his knowledge of God grew. The more that he knew of God, the more that he watched God work, the greater his faith grew. And Abraham spent many years walking with God and spent even more years before God gave him the son that God had promised to him. But with every step that that he took, Abraham's faith grew. And so with every step, God trusted Abraham even more and gave had created even greater intimacy with him as a result of that. He trusted God and knew more about God, and God blessed him in a greater way and drew closer to Abraham as a result. Look at verse 18, chapter 15 and verse 18. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites and the Kezites and the Kadamites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Raphims, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Gergeshites, and the Jebusites. Look at the words in verse 18. He made a covenant with Abraham. A covenant personally with Abraham. A unique covenant God only makes with one man, Abraham. And God would reinforce that covenant over and over again until Isaac was finally born, and then even after that as well. That covenant was reinforced solely because Abraham walked with God and Abraham trusted God and Abraham waited on God and God made a covenant with Abraham himself, an agreement with Abraham. My faith is never going to grow if I try to push the program. My faith is never going to grow if I insert my own agenda. My faith is never going to grow if I make my own plans. And the reason that so many believers have so little faith is because they simply choose not to expend the time and the effort and the patience that it takes to simply walk with God. Just walk with Him. So many believers want what God promises, but they want it now, right this second. 
And over and over in Scripture, the Bible says, wait on the Lord, wait on him, wait on him. And he'll give you what he promised to give you if you will just wait. But so many believers in this instant age want to skip that step and just get to what God has promised. Here's what we're learning from Abraham. Here's, at least here's what I'm learning from Abraham. The promise that God gives is the incentive to invent, to develop a closer and more intimate walk with him. God gives you the promise and then says, okay, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to manage this? And the promise God gives is an opportunity to develop a closer, more intimate walk with the Lord. Abraham never would have come to believe God as he did if God had made the promise and supplied the promise all at the same time. That's usually what we want. <laughs> but Abraham would not have developed this friendship with God that he had had God done that, given him the promise, and then supplied the promise at the same time. The promise God gives is the incentive to walk with him and wait upon him and develop a more intimate relationship with him. And then as we do that, God supplies what he has promised to us. We see the fulfillment of our faith as a result. And as our, our faith grows, our intimacy with him grows, our knowledge of him grows, and the process just continues on. So here's the question as we close this, morning, this evening. How long are we willing to wait until God fulfills his promise to us? Whatever that promise is. How long are we willing to wait until God finally fulfills that promise to us, whatever promise we've claimed? How long are we simply willing to wait on him and do what he says until the promise comes through? So many people get the promise and God doesn't do it in a couple of days and they lose faith in him and walk a different direction as a result. How long are we willing to wait? You see, folks, our answer to that question is an indication of the depth of the intimacy of our relationship with him. The longer we're willing to wait, the more intimate our relationship is because it's the more, the more we trust him, the more we believe him. God called me to pastor when I was nine years old. He fulfilled that calling when I was 55 years old. <laughs> you say, why did God wait so long? My answer is that I learned a lot about God in that time. I developed a relationship with him and learned things about him that I never would have known had I God supplied that promise immediately. Certainly not when I was nine, obviously, but, but earlier on. Here's the deal. If God makes a promise... God will keep that promise. I've told you before, I haven't counted, but I've read there are 3,000 promises in that book for right now. Not future promises for after this. 3,000 promises in that book right now for us right here and today. And God will keep every one of those 3,000 promises if we'll claim them and trust him for them. And when you find a promise in the word of God, you claim that promise and then you watch him and you wait upon him, and you walk with him until he fulfills the promise. And if we will allow him to do his work, the intimacy that will develop with him will be something we only could have dreamed of. But as we see with Abraham, that promise, that process rather, is the only way to get it. You wait on him, claim the promise, and then wait for him to fulfill it, and believing every step of the way that he will do it in his time when the time is right. And I will tell you something, folks. If we are willing to do that, it'll be worth the wait. God will fulfill that promise in ways you can't even imagine. Just watch him and walk with him and wait on him until the promise is fulfilled and allow your faith to grow and develop and your relationship and your intimacy to grow and develop with him as well. And you'll be so glad you did if you make that choice. All right, let's stand.